Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. jump in. We're starting a new series today, guys. Um, I'm excited about this series. I'm also nervous about this series because we're going to be peeling back some layers on some things that we see within culture. But just to set the record straight, just so that you know, this is not a political series. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter as we're looking at the series Thriving in Babylon. This is a gospel series on how you and I and the church can stand in a culture that is ever-changing, stand well, stand on truth, but then also love well, because it's very important that we're able to do this. And so we're going to be taking a look at the book of Daniel over the next five weeks um, and seeing how Daniel lived in captivity Um, under the rule of different kings by the nation of Babylon. When things were changing, identity was being shifted, values were changing, being being, um, tested, and Daniel did not falter. And so let's turn to the book of Daniel, chapter one, and we'll go there in just a moment. Just go ahead and get you a heads up. Daniel paints this incredible picture on how we can, we can live and lead in a culture that's changing, especially for those of us that are believers. But let me help all of us in this room. As we are reading scripture, we have to understand that we are reading it through a biblical worldview. So when we're reading prophecies that are in Daniel, when we're reading historical events that are in Daniel, and and we're reading prophecies about the nation of Israel, I want us to understand that it's not an illustration and symbolism of America, okay? I might step on some toes with this one, but America is not God's favorite nation, right? I know, that's craziness, right? The nation of people that God has chosen is Israel. And we get to, we get to um, join in with that. We are a part of that. For those of us who are in relationship with Jesus, we've been grafted and adopted in as his favorite people. But it's not America. I might step on some toes. But what I want us to understand is we're looking through Genesis, through Revelations. It's not a story of countries and kings and leaders. It is a story of kingdoms. It is a story of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth, heavenly kingdoms and earthly kingdoms. It's a story of God's kingdoms and actually like our own personal kingdom that we try to build up within nations, within our lives. And we're going to take a look at how we can compensate for that. And I'm only going to read one scripture from the book of Daniel today. Um, It's a series on the book of Daniel, but you're getting one scripture. And it's Daniel chapter one, verse one. You ready for it? It says, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, 
I cut my teeth in growing up learning scripture as I was teaching scripture. As a children's pastor and as a youth pastor, I was learning the Bible and teaching it. And one of the greatest tools that I had in my arsenal for learning Bible stories were some theologians um, from VeggieTales University, right? And so I learned so much from VeggieTales. So if at any point during this series, if I refer to King Nebuchadnezzar as King Nebi, it's because it's from VeggieTales. You have Radshack, Meshack, and Abednego, but we know them as Rackshack and Benny. See, you guys know what I'm talking about. But as we're looking at all these cool stories that are within this this book, it is a book of historical writings. As we get towards the end, there's there's some prophetic writings that we're going to take a look at. But when Babylon besieged Jerusalem, this began the Gentile um, rule over Israel. And really, it was a result of of God's people falling away from God, um, not worshiping God wholeheartedly, not upholding his commandments, his decrees, and his laws, and basically just living a selfish life. And so today, what I want to help us do is kind of set the foundation for the rest of the series. So there's going to be a lot of information in this message, but it is foundation for us to understand the culture and the context of Babylon, that it was once a great nation, but now it is not a nation, but it is an attitude, it is a mindset, and it is a spirit that we see in work, not just in America, because sometimes we want to read scripture and read revelations and read prophecies. And, and when we see the word Babylon, we think it's like America is the new Babylon. Well, there was a new Babylon before there was America, and that was in Rome, right? And so there will always be another Babylon because Babylon is actually a mindset. It's an attitude, but it's a spirit that's at work behind the scenes. And so we're going to take a look at kind of the history of Babylon and the future of Babylon. One of my favorite movies was X-Men Future Past. Do you guys remember that, right? And so we're going to go to the future, sort of, and we're going to read from Revelations, Revelations chapter 17. And this is John writing. He, he receives a vision of the end times, of what's going to take place. And there's a lot of imagery in Revelations that you know, could have a, you know, a few different meanings depending on the scholars that you're reading. But in, in verse one of Revelations chapter 17, um, John says this, come with me, said this angel. He says, I will show you the judgment that is going to come on the great prostitute who rules over many waters. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her and the people who belong to this world have been made drunk by the wine of her immorality. So the angel took me in the spirit into the wilderness. And there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, here comes the crazy imagery, that had seven heads and 10 horns and blasphemes against God were written all over it it, the beast. This is the woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. And in her hand, she held a gold goblet full of obscenities and the impurities of her immorality. It says there was a mysterious name written on her forehead. And it said, Babylon the great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. 
And then John says this, I could see that she was drunk with the blood of God's holy people who were witnesses for Jesus. And it says that I stared at her in amazement. And as we're looking at this description of the spirit, essentially, of Babylon, there are some traits about her reach her influence that's kind of highlighted and illustrated here. He says that, that she sat beside many waters, and that means that, that the spirit of Babylon has a wide reach. And we want to look at America and say it's just in America, but if you look globally, there is a spirit of debauchery. There is a spirit that is, that is anti-God that is globally. Would you guys agree? It's not just here in America. And so it sits by many waters. She rules by many waters. And since Babylon captivates the leaders and the people, and this gives a reference in, into the ways that, that as leaders fall away from the things of God, guess what's going to happen with the people? They're going to fall away from the things of God. And it is a, a, a cyclical thing that happens. It says Babylon, says she's wearing, you know, a purple garments and red garments, and there's these jewels and, and pearls. It says all these are like elements of royalty, elements of power, descriptions of influence, um, because Babylon has influence over culture. The spirit has influence over culture. And, and if you know anything about culture, culture is extremely important. There's a saying in organizations that culture trumps systems every time. Culture trumps systems every time. You can have some of the best systems in place. We're trying to put in really good systems here at our church but even more important than the systems we put in place is we want to set up a good, healthy culture, and that is hard. And what happens is the spirit of Babylon has infiltrated culture because culture affects everything. And culture is having an influence on younger and younger generations. Would you guys agree? Like there are some things that, that I experienced as influential as a teenager that now I'm seeing my middle schooler is being influenced, and even my elementary age is being influenced by things that are in culture that used to be very subtle, right? I remember watching, like, kids' movies, and there was always some adult-like humor in there, right, that was subtle. It's not as subtle as it used to be, guys, because culture is getting more and more comfortable in revealing this, this spirit of Babylon. Um, since Babylon has influence over power and culture, culture affects everything. Babylon will persecute believers. We've seen that happen in the past, both in scriptural times, in modern times, and will continue to happen that anytime anyone stands against um, its culture, the Babylonian culture is going to go against everything that's Christian living. So the first mention of Babylon, all right, and I'll try to, the first mention of Babylon, a lot of times we want to think about the Tower of Babel, right? We want to jump straight to there. But actually Babylon is mentioned before that in the creator of Babylon. There's a story in Genesis chapter 9, verses 20 through 25. And some of you may have heard the story. We all know the story of Noah, right? Noah built the what? ark, right? He built the ark because there was going to be a flood. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. First time it's ever happened. The whole earth was flooded. And after months of being cooped up in a, in a boat with his family, I don't know that I could be cooped up in a boat with my family for a few weeks. I love them, but we're talking months, y'all, right? And so he gets out and he plants a vineyard and he harvests the grapes from that vineyard and he ferments some wine 
and he drinks a little too much wine. Scripture says that he, he, he found himself drunk and naked in a cave. How crazy is that? There's some crazy stories in scripture. It was like, really? Yeah, it actually happened. Not to me, but to Noah, right? To Noah, absolutely. Um, and it, it says that, that one of his sons went into the cave. Ham went into the cave, saw his dad naked, and it says that he went out. And it's like, hey, bros, 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 bros. But dad's naked in, in the cave. You gotta come see this. And what the two other brothers did is they actually walked back into the cave backwards, holding a blanket so they could cover up their dad's nakedness. And Noah eventually woke up and he wasn't real happy with ham. Um, he made a ham sandwich after that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he, he actually, he cursed, he cursed not just ham, but he cursed ham's son. And, and we'll read this in Genesis 10, 8. It says, Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it's said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. It says the first centers of his kingdom were what? What does it say? The first center of his kingdom was what? Babylon. Babylon and Uruk and Akkad and Kelna and Shinar. And you continue reading, he also um, established Assyria, which would also later conquer Israel. And so Nimrod, how many of you heard the term Nimrod, right? How many of you have been called a Nimrod, <laughs> right? And so we know it as a kind of derogatory negative term as being an idiot, right? You just don't know what you're doing. But here, Scripture is saying that it was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And actually, as you dig down, it doesn't mean like he's before the Lord. It means he's against the Lord, that he is a mighty hunter against Yahweh is actually what it says. And, and we know it as you're an idiot. Um, and just a fun, meaningless fact of information that you can share at work tomorrow, where we get the definition of it. Uh, is actually from a cartoon in the 1940s um, by a guy. Um, his name is Bugs Bunny. Some of you guys may not have any clue who that is. Jennifer said, you might ought to show a picture. And I was like, but do I? Space Jam, the new one, right? Or the old one. He's one of the characters in that. And so he had a, an enemy. What was his enemy's name? Does anybody know? Elmer Fudd. We've got a few old folks in here that know that, right? So his, his name was Elmer Fudd. He was a hunter, and Bugs Bunny would call Elmer Fudd a Nimrod, just changing the name from brave hunter, great hunter, to you're an idiot hunter, right? But Nimrod's name actually comes from this other word, right? It comes from this other word called Marad. It's where we get murder. It's where we get marauders. And it actually means to rebel. The word maraud means to rebel. Now, let's move forward now a little bit to our first understanding and maybe hearing of the country, the nation of Babylon. And it's going to be in Genesis chapter 11. You guys still with me? It's a lot of information, foundation work. Genesis chapter 11. And this is the story where they're building the tower of Babel. Everyone migrates to the east. They found a plain on the land of Babylonia and they settled there and began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. And then they said, come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us what? Famous. 
this will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the earth. And so God sees what's happening. He sees that they're trying to build, some translations say that they're trying to build a tower to reach heaven. They're trying to elevate themselves. And he comes down and he sees all this great work that they're doing. He says, look, they spoke the same language. And he says, if they're unified so much in this, there is absolutely nothing that they can accomplish. God understands, another sermon, but God understands the power of unity. And he says, look, there's absolutely nothing they can't accomplish. So he confused their speech so that they stopped building the tower because this is what the spirit of Babylon attempts to do, exalt self. That when we look at culture and we say, oh, we're in a Babylonian culture, that's a culture that is trying to exalt self. Trying to exalt self. The prophet Isaiah actually even pointed this out before Babylon was even actually on the scene as a conquering nation. In Isaiah 47, verse 8, and he, he, he's prophesying to Babylon. And he says this, listen to this, you pleasure-loving kingdom, living at ease and feeling secure. You say, I am the only one and there is no other. You pleasure-loving kingdom living at ease, feeling secure. You say that I'm the only one and there is nothing else. These are some more traits of this Babylonian culture that, that loves pleasure. That what feels good to me feels good for me. I'm going to do that regardless of what anybody else thinks. And he says that, that you live at ease. We want to take the easy way. The Babylonian culture wants to take the easy way. If it's easy for me to do, I'm going to do it. And then this kind of hit me. It says, I, says, you're saying that I am the only one. There's no other. And this made me think about when God is having this conversation with Moses in the burning bush. And Moses says, who should I tell them has sent me? When Moses is being sent to the children of Israel and Moses says, who should I say has sent me? What does God say? Tell them I am that I am. And so Isaiah is recognizing and is prophesying that the spirit of Babylon will put themselves equal with God, right? And so we see this. So, so here's what happens, okay? When we exalt ourself, guess what we do? What the result is? We lower God. When an individual exalts themselves, then they are lowering God. When a nation exalts themselves, they are lowering God. When a culture exalts themselves, they are lowering God. And guess what that's called? That is called rebellion. Let's go back. What was the meaning behind the name of Nimrod? Rebel. So at the very heart of Babylonian spirit, the very heart of the Babylonian mindset is this rebellious heart the natural effect of exalting ourselves and we are lowering God. It just doesn't start with culture, guys. It starts with you and I. And God warned the people of Israel through the prophet Jeremiah with this. You guys still with me? A lot of info. Jeremiah chapter 25, verses seven and nine. And so he's prophesying to the children of Israel because they are falling away from God. They're losing heart with God. They're not worshiping. They're going their own way. They're rebelling. And he says this to them and to their leaders. He says, but you would not listen to me. You made me furious by worshiping idols that you made with your hands. 
bringing on yourselves all the disasters that you now suffer. And now the Lord of heaven's army says, because you have not listened to me, I will gather together all the armies of the northern under of the north under King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I'm gonna gather together all the armies of the north under King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Now look at this, all right? It says, whom I have appointed as my deputy. So God said, I'm gonna use Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I will bring them all against this land. I'm gonna bring Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians against this land and against the surrounding nations. And we see this actually come to pass in Daniel chapter one, verse two, where, where Daniel says, the Lord gave him, talking about Nebuchadnezzar, the Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar victory over the nation of Israel. Why would he do that? Why would he send his people into captivity? Because what happens is that rebellion, rebellion, when our hearts rebel, it leads to Babylonian captivity, not by another nation, but what happens is you and I and culture is now captivated because our hearts are far from God. The culture's heart is far from God. The leader's hearts are far from God. And so we are now captivated and, and we are in captivity of this Babylonian spirit, Babylonian mindset, Babylonian culture. Does that make sense? And so he uses it though. He uses this culture to change the mindsets. Now, Jeremiah 29, some more scripture, Jeremiah 29 verses 10 through 14. And there's a passage of the scripture nestled in the middle of this that a lot of us probably quote. I've quoted it a lot of times, even out of context. Verse 10 says, this is what the Lord says. So Jeremiah is now prophesying to the children of Israel. He says, you will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come for you and I will do all the good things I have promised and I will bring you home again. Now, this is the verse we all quote. Actually, when I was a youth pastor, I would take a picture of my Bible with this passage underlined and all my graduating seniors would get this because I wanted them going away to college or to work knowing that God had plans for them. And this is what we quote. He says, for I know the what? I know the what? Plans. I know the plans I have for you says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And in those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me and I will be found by you. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. And I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home to your own land bring you home. So those promises for good, for prosperity, they are meant for the children of Israel while they are in captivity. And those promises are still good for us. But sometimes it's, it's why we're in the middle of being captivated by culture and moving out of that. So like we, we, we look at all this. So I'm giving you like this broad um, explanation of what Babylon is and so that we can recognize it in today's culture. It's all about exalting self and lowering God. And I've, I've, I read this quote, so I always ask these two questions. When I'm writing a message, and today's like a lot of information, but I always ask these questions, now what, so what? It's like, what do you want me to do with all this? It's like, Stephen, you've, you, you've explained how Babylon started, what it is, how it works, but so what? Like, how does that apply? John Calvin has this quote. 
And I, you know, I don't celebrate a lot of John Calvin's theology, but I love this quote and understanding how God moves in his sovereignty, whether we like it or not, because it's about him. He says this, he says, King Nebuchadnezzar did not possess, did not conquer Jerusalem. King Nebuchadnezzar did not possess Jerusalem and was not the conqueror of the nation by his own valor, by his own counsel or good luck, but it says, because God wished to humble his people. Think about that. God sent his people into captivity to humble them. You know, last week, two weeks ago, I talked about why do bad things happen? Sometimes God allows some bad things to happen to humble us. And so when we're looking at this, living in Babylon provides opportunities to exalt God instead of ourselves. When we're looking at what's going on in our world, across the waters, in our nations, in our community, in our schools, it's an opportunity for us to exalt God and bring him back into the right place. And as we do that, we lower ourselves. And the only way out is through his power because he sets up the kingdoms and he takes down kingdoms. And here's what we have to do, church, is, is we want to be very quick and I wanna be careful. Like we wanna stand for truth, but I don't want us to stand on a soapbox and pointing at the world. That's like, that's not gonna solve anything. Before we can change culture, guess what we have to do? We have to change our hearts. And I'm not saying like all you guys in here, your hearts are hard, but I'm just saying as a church, what we have to do, church big C, we have to change our hearts before we can change culture. We have to humble ourselves, Peter says, and like under the mighty hand of God, we have to humble ourselves Jesus says, like, before you go to take out the, the speck in someone else's eye, what do you have to do with your own? Take the log out of your eye. And then here's the greatest news. Like, we can look and we can hear all this and think, oh, woe is me. It's just, it's, it's horrible. How are we ever going to survive? Here's the greatest news, guys. Always is. God wins. Just pause. <laughs> it was like that. But does he? Absolutely. You read the end of the story, God wins. He is victorious. And if we are in relationship with him and living for him and living with him, guess what that means for us? We win. And are there going to be hard times? Absolutely. Are there going to be things that we have to fight through? Absolutely. Like raising kids now, like I'm just like, my kids are having to experience and see and hear things way earlier than what I had to. And now I wonder, like, what are my grandkids and your grandkids, what are they gonna have to listen to and fight through and, and change that's different even from our culture today? The things that are acceptable today that are against God's word just so easily has changed in the last five years. Would you agree? And it's gonna get progressively, I don't wanna say worse, but it's worse. But at the end, God wins, guys. 
we're coming out of captivity. And there's this, there's this incredible imagery in the book of Revelations right after talking about the great prostitute of Babylon. It says that when she is defeated, it says that, that the ashes of her charred remains and the smoke is lifting up because she has been destroyed. So even though the city and the country has been destroyed, the spirit of Babylon will also be destroyed. So I want us to understand as we start moving into the next two or three weeks where we look at how Babylon is attacking our identity. We look at like, what does it mean to stand firm and values our Christian faith in this culture? How do we do that at the end of it? Even when we feel like we're losing, guess what? God wins. God wins. Let me pray for us. Father, I just come to you this morning. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it's moving, it's alive, it's powerful, it cuts between soul and spirit, between bone and marrow revealing who we are, changing us from the inside out. And God, as we are walking through this series and understanding on how you want us to love and lead and stand in a culture that is ever-changing, in a culture that breaks your heart. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see. God, give us ears to hear, a heart to understand just this time and space that, that you've placed us in. God, that we just don't sit back and let the world around us fall apart, but that we don't just shout at it in condemnation, but that we love and we serve and we stand according to your word and with the strength of your spirit. And so God, even when we have opportunities to exalt ourselves or exalt you, God, I pray that we would, we would love to lift up your name and exalt you that when there's opportunities of rebellion, even in our hearts, God, that we would, we would bring that to you and surrender that to you and submit that to you. And God, that we would um, just be a light. God, you said that we're called to be a city on a hill. God, let Avenue Church, let every church in Murfreesboro just be a light. Let us walk in your truth. And God, if there's anyone here today that does not have a relationship with you, God, maybe they've been rebellious in their heart and rebellious in their life. God, I pray that it's your spirit even right now drawing them into a relationship with you. Maybe they're a Christian, but they don't know you. They've maybe even said the prayer and went through the motions, but they're not in relationship with you. They've grown stagnant. God, I pray that in this moment, even now, they're returning and surrendering to you. In their own words, just simply by surrendering their life, seeking forgiveness for their sins, accepting you and in and, and their words on your terms. And it's not all that's gonna be said, but God, it's, it's the beginning of an eternal conversation that all those who are, who are in relationship with you, all the old is gone and everything is made new, all the guilt and shame that brought them to this point, God, is, is replaced with, with grace and mercy and joy and life. So Father, help us tomorrow as we go back to work or in any area. God, help us to be a light in this community and in our homes and in our families. In Jesus' name.